Good morning. It's November 5th, and welcome to Doing Life, daily devotions for finding peace in stressful times. This is the audible companion to the book of the same name. The music you're listening to is God of Mercy and Compassion by the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, from the album Lent at Ephesus. Today's title is The Problem of Pain. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16:33. Man in his search for meaning has had a moral, theological, ethical dilemma as old as the concept of a deity itself. If God is good and loving and at the same time all-powerful, why does he permit those he created in his own image to experience incredible pain and suffering? It is a conundrum that has kept many an agnostic seeker from faith, and at the same time solidified the absence of faith in the atheist. While we touched on this issue with, no he didn't, October 24th, we only addressed the fallacy that God specifically purposes the pain of loss. Blaming God for the misfortunes that befall all of us is admittedly one part of the problem. Negating his very existence because his purported character would seem to eliminate the possibility of pain even being allowed is the bigger issue. Philosophers and theologians have wrestled with this since the time of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, five centuries before the birth of Christ. And man, undoubtedly, at least contemplated these issues thousands of years before that. One of the most cogent treatments of this issue in the last century was certainly that addressed by our old friend C.S. Lewis, the one-time atheist become Christian apologist and first Oxford and then Cambridge professor of medieval and Renaissance literature. He is perhaps best known for his works Mere Christianity, a compilation of his World War II radio broadcasts, and the Narnia Chronicles, penned in the 1950s. He published the short book The Problem of Pain in 1940, as the war in Europe was really getting underway. God created mankind with free will, and in Lewis's estimation, most of our suffering is due to its misuse. We are extremely adept at inflicting pain upon each other. The remainder, due to disease and natural disaster, have long been thought to have their origins with Satan, and this is supported to a great extent by Scripture, Luke 13:15. Matthew eight twenty eight through forty, <clears throat> Mark nine seventeen through twenty nine, to name just a few. We Christians are called first to repentance, and then, in accepting the forgiveness purchased on the cross by Jesus, we are reborn. John three three. Dying to our old selves, we submit our will to Him. Galatians two twenty. Submitting to the will of another, even God, is always hard and often painful. Lewis contends that our pain in this life facilitates this submission in three critical ways. First, suffering destroys the illusion that all is well. Those who hold to this illusion will never turn to God. Second, only when we lose some of what God has given us will we ever be able to recognize how much we need Him. Only then does it become clear that we can never do life successfully on our own. Third, only when we find that doing God's will is sometimes painful can we recognize it as his will and not our own. If we're doing something we love to do all the time, how do we know it's God's will for us or simply what we want to do instead? 
That doesn't mean that doing God's will is always painful. Just that when our actions lead to our own suffering, and yet we persist, God's will is more likely the motivation rather than our own. Suffering is not good in and of itself, but in suffering two good things may result. The sufferer, submitting to the will of God, and the compassionate observer, striving to relieve the suffering of another with acts of mercy. Lewis also purports, quote, The tribulation is a necessary prerequisite for redemption, and suffering won't end until the entire world is redeemed, or the world becomes unredeemable, unquote. Perpetual happiness and security would teach us to love the things of this world, and Christ is very clear that this is a fatal error. The world rejected Christ, and it will reject his followers too. Romans 12.2, John 15.19, 17.14, and 1 John 2.15. God grants us moments of happiness in love, in nature, in our work, but we know that the absence of tears, the absence of pain and fear and sadness and loss, will only come when he returns and the entire world bends the knee. Romans 14.11 Philippians 2.10. Job teaches us all of this as well. He progresses in his suffering from initially blaming God, believing he is being unjustly punished, all the way to repenting of his arrogance and pride, and finally submitting to God's will for him, no matter what it might be. He decided, after God challenged him face to face and made perfectly clear the relative power and position of the Creator and the created, Job 38, that he could trust God in all situations, even if he didn't comprehend the reason for his circumstances, Job 42, 10-17. God then restores everything he has lost and more. Only suffering led Job to this level of faith, an eventual peace and joy. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit as a helper, and that means he is available to help, whether you're suffering or on top of the world. God is always in the response, but not always in the event. Theorizing on why a misfortune has befallen you is usually a waste of time, unless, of course, you brought it on yourself, and then you weren't just the folly, were you? When you're getting pulled under in the whirlpool, even if you have no idea why, that's the time to submit and look to the one who quieted the storm with the wave of a hand. Matthew eight twenty three through 17 Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Remind us, even in the midst of our suffering, that you are sovereign. Teach us, as you schooled Job, that you are ultimately in control, and we can do nothing wiser than trusting you, no matter how dire our situation might seem. Amen. We'll see you tomorrow.